0: you're not alone you jesus felt this way this 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 is this is what it means to be human um and it's it's and it's awful and it's terrifying and you are not alone in it
1: my name is jonah i'm a pastor activist community organizer and follower of jesus I love the Bible, but I've been told it doesn't love me back. Enter the peacock. An ancient symbol of abundance, the peacock is more than beautiful. It serves as a guard animal around the world because it eats poisonous spiders and snakes. How does it survive? Peacocks can break down poison, get to the good stuff, and emerge fed and strengthened. Some say this is how the peacock gets its beautiful iridescent feathers. Join me and my guests as we read the Bible in the spirit of the peacock, re-encounter nourishing scriptures that have been poisoned by hate and ignorance, break down toxic theology and get to the good stuff, emerge fed and strengthened with a beautiful, iridescent faith. Welcome to Jonah and the Peacock, a podcast about poison, healing, and the Bible. Hey everybody, Jonah here and and welcome to today's episode where I get to talk to Jason Chestnut. Uh, Jason is a pastor and a filmmaker. He got uh, his mark really on to Twitter with the Slate Project, which was um, really a pioneer in the digital church community space. Uh, as you'll hear in our conversation, he jokes about how um, everyone kind of hopped on that bandwagon for some reason in March 2020. But he had been doing that for years and years and really really um, pushing the edges of what a worshiping community could look like. He's actually working on something new now in North Carolina. Um, It's called Anamkara, and if you want to learn more information about that, you can check out anamkaracommunity.org. It means soul friend, and he's still pushing the envelope of what it means to do digital, online, and in-person worship, and creating church in just a totally new landscape. But today we talk a lot about mental health. Jason is passionate as a storyteller and he loves um, kind of the fundamentals of of scripture and belief. And he's somebody who uh, experiences depression and anxiety and, uh, and isn't shy about it, which I really appreciate. He's been really bold. Uh, his his Twitter handle at crazy pastor has been an outlet for him for years. Um, but speaking out about the way that the church fails to uh, handle mental health issues and also can sometimes exacerbate it is something that, um, that he really brings to the conversation and how to be a person of faith amidst a uh, mental health crisis and where Jesus is in the midst of all of that. It was really beautiful to talk to him and, and hear how that t- changes his take on scripture, how it opens up new avenues of understanding in the story where he can see things that other folks can't because of his experiences, because of um, his uh, suffering in many, many ways. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Jason. I hope you check out those communities. And I hope you're inspired to continue thinking of digital space as a way that you can build your church community and that you can support your mental health and your spirituality just a heads up, we will be talking about some of those heavier issues, including deep depression and thoughts of suicide. If you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, I really want to encourage you to reach out and let someone know. One great resource is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline that has helped so many. The number is 1-800-273-8255. On a lighter content warning note, uh, we drop many, many F-bombs in this conversation, because sometimes uh, important conversation requires important words. Hope you enjoy. So tell me about the Slate Project. Um, as I mentioned to you before, like it's uh, that's been pretty wide-reaching um, in certain corners. And then I think there are a lot of people who probably, I would imagine there are a lot of people who are like, I did not know church could exist as such online. Mm. And so you yeah. came out of the scene in like 20, what you said, 2013. 13, And you were yeah. like, I got, I got an idea, guys. I got <laughs> yeah, this. Right. You'll be super ready for it in 2020. Let me get started oh, now. Oh
0: man. Oh man. Yeah. I think it's definitely more of an, I got an idea. Uh, We'll see what happens. Um, And shout out to Jen DeFrancesco who runs the, face-to-face component of it, which is still a part of slate. But I mean, for me, it was, I, um, you know, I had been really hurt in my first call as a pastor. I was, I was just trying to still remain a pastor, you know, remain in the church somehow. Um, and so, and so slate just like the idea that, um, you know, honestly, it's, um, i'm sitting at this coffee shop right everybody's in line to get their order and they're all on their phone and they're scrolling on their phones and so i thought, man it'd be really cool to have really interesting engaging non-judgmental uh 21st 21st century christianity can kind i of go on their feeds if they're interested in it <laughs> they get they get like that's where they are right that's where their attention is and so that's where i wanted to be um in some ways because i just uh it made I wanted to I wanted to have a, a good Christian presence. You know, I sat outside in the street um, once a week for a while with just a sign saying Christianity without the crap and like water, like free water, you know. And um, I just wanted, like, I didn't even care. In, in fact, sometimes it was well. Sometimes I'm like, it's okay if nobody showed up <laughs> because I just wanted to be a presence in the street that was Christian and not insane. Yeah, I mean, right? Or that was yeah. Christian and not yelling at people, judging people.
1: Your sandwiches board is like, I'm a regular person. Carry on.
0: Is it's, it's kind of hot? You want some water? Like, or you can come and scream at me about your which some people did, sure. right? Come and scream at me about their 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 Christian um what what Christianity had done to them. And I think that's holy too, because I said I'm sorry. That's awful. That sounds horrific. And too often that's what Christianity has been. And I'm so sorry.
1: I mean, at that point, do you feel like you could relate to a lot of that? Or was it people primarily having very different experiences than you had had?
0: Mm, That's a good question. I think, I think at the I think at the core of it, it was the church that had abused them, or a church that had um, marginalized them. And uh, I have a lot of privilege in my life. And so I cannot speak to that kind of marginalization. What I will say is, uh, growing up evangelical and fundamentalist, um, I found so much freedom in um, in being able to escape that kind of that kind of trauma. Yeah, you know, um, being terrified of of the of of not being involved in the rat, not being good enough to being ratcheted up, right? And it's a big one. And um, and just. And just, just being really afraid of, uh, I mean, I was clearly a sinner, and I was in the hands of a very angry God, and it was exhausting and terrifying. I had night terrors growing up, you know. Um, my brain is very kind of all over the place. And so I think, you know, so I think in some ways the people who on the street who were using that as an opportunity to talk about what Christianity had done to them, um, which, again, I want to say, like, I think that that, I don't know if they ever had any, any other arena for that to happen. Yeah. Something that's holy. Um it made me th- it made me want to do like just days where I would just stand in the middle of a street like sometimes I do that on Ash Wednesday we do these ashes to go thing and I'd stand in just like a median in like a really busy street that would often have like long uh traffic jams. And sometimes I'll just like maybe my sign should just say hey I'm really sorry. Like stand there in a collar and just I'm sorry. Yeah. Like the church it's like, or I I can't speak for the church, but like, I, I guess I want to say to you, like, like the church that we're a part of has a lot of forgiveness to ask for and work to do in that arena.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't know. Did you ever read Blue Lake Jazz? I did. Part uh, of that wave.
0: Yeah. Early uh, 2000s. I mean,
1: yeah. Well, and I think that that was a big part of the shift that there was any in that book he describes doing something very similar in Seattle, Portland, maybe.
0: Yeah. I think, Um, yeah. Yeah. And,
1: and I think that like, I remember speaking to evangelicals who were reading that book who were connected to it and marveling at it, but also it was the first time that it occurred to them that the church might have anything to apologize for. Um, And I think that, you know, I think you're right that if, (laughs) just that like you bringing that up this idea of you standing in the street and offering an apology you know what that brings to mind for me is the one the literal one time I ever heard of that happening 20 years ago in a book that became famous but didn't actually inspire any kind of broad widespread you know church-wide repentance um, it's like a, it's a novel idea but the church is just right. not taking it up um, and, and similarly in Milwaukee here, like everybody I talk to has some amount of, of spiritual trauma, church trauma, and it's, you know, there, there's no place for that.
0: Yeah. And then what happens to that trauma if we don't talk about it? Right. Um, yeah. Just, it just, it just becomes such a source of shame. I, it, it breaks my heart how many people associate their sh- deep sense of shame from the church. How awful is that?
1: God. Well, I mean, is that something, I know you said that you, relative to the people who were talking to you in the streets, that you have a lot of privilege. Do you think you still came through that system, carrying shame related to the church? Absolutely. Even with all of your privilege, that was still, that layering of of shame was part of your trauma too.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I, I Absolutely. And it's taken, um, I mean, I'm 39 now, and I think I'm just kind of emerging from it. It took my 30s. So that's a, it's a, I don't know if we, if we really get a sense sometimes of the magnitude of harm that our faith tradition has done to people.
1: Yeah. Well, and for for me, I think it's about uh, how powerful spirituality is. The the metaphor that I like to use in spaces where it's appropriate and safe to do so is, uh, is to sexuality. Mm-hmm. That when sexuality is abusive or like when sex is used to harm people, um, to control people, coerce people, uh, it can leave a, a kind of depth of damage because of how intimate and powerful it is that is extremely difficult to heal Hmm. however like good sex holy sex sex that draws people toward one another can be healing can be life-giving can be so profound and i think similarly with spirituality like there is nothing that can hurt you quite like the church can hurt you there is Mm -hmm. nothing that can can wound the soul quite like weaponizing god language i think that's what the Mm -hmm the second commandment is actually really about is it the second? I don't know the order. Uh,
0: the, it, the in yeah, in vain one. Yeah. You know, what I'm talking taking about. the Lord's name in vain totally. Totally. Yeah. Like true taking the Lord's name in vain, we're talking the crusades, right? The yeah, exactly. Nazi Germany. We're talking we're talking putting God's name on something that God would never co-sign.
1: Absolutely. And and I think that that can be, you know, you're you're talking about these these huge systemic historic events and I think that happens in these interpersonal relationships you know it's when queer kids are getting fully. kicked out of their homes and disowned by their families in the name of God so to Absolutely. speak like that's that's why that's so top of the list um in the scriptures is because the wounding of of a, of a spiritual community the wounding that can be done in the name of God is so profound but the flip side of that, I believe, I hope, I continue to trust, that's why I'm even Mm. here, Mm. is that the healing that can be done in the name of God is even more profound. Mm. Both at that interpersonal level that, like, I am healed by my relationship to God, I'm healed by my intimate relationship with my spiritual community. And, you know, societally, globally, cosmically, um, we can scale that up as well to say the divine promise of love and liberation can deliver on that in a way that nothing else can, because it is so powerful. Um, But, you know, it's anything powerful can be wielded in many ways.
0: Yeah. And uh, um, I just really like what you were saying there, Jonah, about how, how overcoming that trauma could be even more amazing, more profound. Um, I think it's possible. I think, and I think there's so much, that's good uh, about the movement that Jesus of Nazareth started. And there's so much good about the scriptures that we have. Uh, it's not all good. Um, it's the good book in the same way that Good Friday is good. I mean, it's quote unquote good. It's, it's much more, um, it can be used for something awful or it can be used for something incredible. I mean, like it's, it's sort of a, it's a powder keg, right? In that way in some ways.
1: Well, and I think that, you know, it the same dynamic can be functional and healing in one context and dysfunctional and wounding in another. So, actually, it's interesting because when you were talking about shame, uh so you and I first met when we were both in seminary in a Lutheran school in the city of Chicago. Right. And at the time, um, we had both found our way to the Lutheran church and it was a refuge in many ways. I was still struggling theologically. I remember, um, the, uh, the Luther, the Luther guy, the history guy, Kurt Hendel, this amazing professor. Yeah. Love him. Love him. Um, but I, I kept insisting to him that I was not a good Lutheran, um, because we would talk about this and I would see the writings of Luther and talk about somebody who was dealing with shame and self-loathing mm. i mean you know he, he and he wrote and, wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote about it and and so when yeah. you when you go into those texts you see this man who was abused by the church who had told him you have to do all of these right things and if you can't do all of these right things then you will not be loved by god you will burn for eternity you will suffer right. you will be displeasing to the God of the universe. And so Luther just suffered under that weight. And then at, at some point it it sort of there was a shift in him to say like actually, actually wait a minute. I know that I can't do all of those things. And that has been making me feel like absolute garbage. But what if that's fine? Like right. what if what if that's by design? What if I'm not meant to be able to do all this stuff? What if I am a piece of shit? Fine. Catholic Church, like well, the church, Roman, right, you know, right, you know, right, church in right. the West. Um right. like maybe I, mm. maybe that's fine that I'm a piece of shit and maybe God loves all of me anyway mm. and loves me despite that. And so that was extremely freeing for Luther then to say like yeah, you know what? I am a piece of shit. It's fine. Yeah.
0: Yeah, right. Um, right. Right. And
1: God loves me and what matters right. is God's love for me. Right. But but then you take that theology, you know, 4 or 500 years into the future mm. and you have people especially in you know, in Wisconsin, we got the Wisconsin yes. Lutherans yes. who are like, hey there, rot gut sinner. Hey there, you mm. worm, mm. you are horrible garbage and you should know that God doesn't even love you. God loves God's own self for standing in front of you, blocking the horrible view, mm. you know? Right. And it's, it's the same theology, but it is a relief and a healing in one context and, and a weapon and abusive in another.
0: Yeah, that's really good. I mean, that's, that's absolutely, that's absolutely what it does. And so I wonder about, um, I wonder about um, like, like let's stay with Luther that, that the, that the manger that held the Christ child, right. That that's, that's, that's God's word right there right in the in the person of Jesus and to look at Jesus's life for me personally has been very very like that's that's kind of my my guiding light especially when i think about um i guess the shame that came from um growing up evangelical is one thing but i also uh in my first call out of seminary i uh, experienced my first suicidal ideations and um and so you know, for me, there was there was a there was a sense that I was completely alone. Mm. And that the world would be better off without me, probably. And so I as a as a storyteller, I'm telling these stories of Jesus. I'm trying to, whenever I'm preaching, to learn the story by heart and tell it. And so I just spent a lot of time with Jesus as the gospel writers understood him. And when you story tell, just as a side note, so probably what the most spiritual thing that I do, or the, the 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 discipline that's the most spiritual, is 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 marinating in these words. Ironically, mm-hmm. coming from an evangelical crowd that kind of prides itself on knowing chapter and verse, and now I get out of that, and I know the Bible much better now. Right? Yeah. Um, but uh, I think about the fact that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is depressed, even to the point of death. Yeah. Before he even gets to the disciples. And they're kind of like, I mean, this, this sense that he's, he's there in front of front of God. He's like, I do not want this. I I, like take this cup from me. This is like, I do not want this. I do not want to be alive. Um, and I'm like, damn, I know what that's like. Yeah. I definitely, I, I, I absolutely know what that's like and you know just in general the church is really good with the whole 100% divinity of Jesus but we're shit with the 100% divine or with the 100% human humanity of Jesus right yeah so we can kind of forget that I mean Jesus that night in the garden like asked to to just be killed like he couldn't he did not want to live anymore I was just thinking as I was saying that, like that, that, that for me is, is the, the, the power of the biblical narrative less than it's, it's less these little verses that we can pluck out in some ways. That's what you're doing with Luther's words too, right? The little verses that you pluck out and you apply in a totally different context to wield or get whatever kind of um, outcome that you want. As opposed to learning these stories when you sit with jesus in mark's gospel <laughs> he's sarcastic he's a little bit short-tempered um he's hangry <laughs> and he's you know dare i say like depressed
1: mm.
0: and so for somebody like i guess when we're talking before about um um my identities and i'd say you know one of my identities is, is an ex-evangelical who stayed in the church and another one is somebody who's who lives with depression. Yeah. And and all the all the all the corresponding shit that comes with that. So sometimes it's anxiety, and oftentimes it manifests itself physically. And there's a lot of us, right? There's millions of us who 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 live with this. And so um uh, it was really helpful for me. It was transformative for me to not only see in telling Jesus stories. Like oftentimes, it's the Jesus stories where somebody is healed that we yeah. some you know focus on. Um, I I I I I love the stories that are 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 let more ambiguous, you know, mm-hmm. and there isn't like easy resolution.
1: I mean, is that because we love? I mean, our culture loves a before and after, right? We love a transformation story. Absolutely. And, and I think that there is plenty of that for good reason, that like our lives can and are okay, like can be transformed, are transformed by the love of God. And we still we still suffer um, and there's still a lot that we long for healing that that is yet to come. Um, do you feel like you see yourself and your story more in some of those stories that that have more more ambiguity and more open endedness?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, because I just, in, in the depths for me of my, of my mental struggles, um, there, there is no answer. Yeah. Like, you know, the days that you can't really get out of bed and you're just the, the, you know, those days where a win is like taking a shower. Sure. That's, that's like, that is a, that is a productive ass day right there.
1: (laughs) So that level
0: that right, (laughs) that level of depression, um, it's, it, it, it chills you to the bone. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's, it's so all encompassing and it's so overwhelming and it feels like you're the only person who is going through this. And that's, that's a lie, right? Like that my brain is, is very, I, I, uh, my brain with all humility is great. All our brains are great. I love my brain and my brain can really conspire against me. Yeah. And so, I mean, thank God, you know, for antidepressants, thank God for Paxil, which first saved my life. And now I'm on a, a nice cocktail of includes Buspar and Cymbalta. And thank God for all of that, because that keeps me alive as yeah. does talk therapy, which is, which is important as well. Um, but All, you know, the holding that in one, one hand, in the other hand, I, I am, I am holding a lot of the stories of Jesus, um, and stories where, you know, like, where it's like this interesting, you you know, something more is happening, right? It's not just that Jesus heals, um, the the man at uh, in Bes- uh excuse me the garrison demoniac it's not just that it's that like that demoniac is is saying his name is legion right there's there's roman occupation that 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 are called legions and so what what does jesus do once that devil or once that demon comes out throws him into a hort- like pigs pigs Right, this very unclean animal making it just very very clear that this is more than just a healing story a lot of these stories there's there's more stuff going on here right when, even when Mark names Jesus as the Christ the Son of God those are two names those are two titles that the that the Caesars would often take for themselves the good news was often good news of you know of, of victory and battle. And so even at the very beginning of Mark's gospel, you've got this really radical language underneath that is that is that is showing not just individual healing stories, but I think pointing pointing towards a larger communal transformation.
1: Yeah. And so so we see these healing stories get uh reinterpreted, sort of pared down almost into individual before and after. Look what believing in Jesus did for me kind of and that's where the church gets its um it's fuel to tell people oh by faith you know mm. you you're you're only depressed because you don't have enough faith you should pray mm. more you should do all that you know and that and it, again it takes that abusive turn when in fact what you're saying is that they're missing this whole context where actually the the gospels themselves are articulating that part of what is um contributing to the individual suffering to the depression to the um to the woundedness of of even individual souls is this context of communal of social of cosmic oppression um yes. as as kind of named by you know that legion and and the unclean pigs and all that
0: yes and I mean well so, uh, Jonah you make me sound better than I sound myself so like rock on you want to hang out with me like more <laughs> often um but also like uh in in when when in luke's gospel when jesus encounters 10 lepers and heals them and one comes back praising god and 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 falling down at, at jesus feet and jesus says your faith has saved you um just to your point jonah of like how in that context he was making clear that like that no, it's, it's, it's that you turned around yourself, you know, that you have agency. It wasn't Mm -hmm. me. It was you who did this. Jesus is saying this. Yeah. And so then how we then can take that and Luke's interpretation or, you know, Luke's telling of that and then have the church use it in a totally different context. Yeah. Talking about, you know, if you had enough faith, right. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be depressed, go out and take a run, Jason, and just be grateful that you're alive go fuck yeah. yourself. You'll know, you yeah. have no idea what I'm going through. Right. So, um, I think there's, I, I find a lot of, um, uh, just what you're saying in terms of, we, we, we do that all the time with these scriptures, right? We just pluck them up out of their context and we drop them down into something that's completely different.
1: Well, yeah. So what is the, the promise of the gospel? What is the hope in jesus for someone dealing with the depths of that that day in day out depression
0: you're not alone you jesus felt this way
1: yeah this this
0: this is this is what it means to be human um and it's it's and it's awful and it's terrifying and you are not alone in it i think i think that's part of it um, as, as like an overarching theme. Yeah. Um, it's tricky, right? Because in, in the the gospel narratives, this is 2000 years ago, man, they thought the earth was flat (laughs)
1: yeah,
0: and, um, they thought a lot of things that, um, they thought that, you know, every, every, every mental health issue was a demon possession. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And so that's tricky to engage. And, um, and I got to say, it's it's not that I, I'm not trying to say that people 2,000 years ago were stupider than us. We're, we're in many ways, we're stupider now. But there's, you know, there is a sense of a completely different worldview that we do have to kind of translate or transcribe into the 21st century, right? Um, which I think is is very much, because in a lot of ways, the 21st century kind of is is looking like the first century. There's incredible, incredible wealth that is, is concentrated in a very few amount of people and then the rest of us are just trying to survive. Um, and so I, I think in some ways that the echoes are strong.
1: As somebody who has experienced trauma and and sort of the resultant um trauma-based depression and anxiety for me it does help to say because the trauma is the source for me it does help to say like this shit comes from somewhere right and to look at the gospel and yeah. to have Jesus name the the day in day out degradation of of living in occupation of being an unpaid worker of um of living in social um, inequality, as yeah. well as, to me, that, that idea of, like, demon possession. I know that has so many connotations now. But, like, I think that's just naming, like, e- like, you have to contend with evil. and yes. it, And it hurts. And it's hard. And some days, you don't think you're going to make it through. And you yes. might need support to get out from under that evil. And that's not that is not that is in no way a condemnation of you right that's a condemnation of the evil under which you are 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 struggling are burdened yes and it is our responsibility to one another to overthrow that at an mm-hmm. individual and systemic level yes um to to you know and that's where i get into my like liberation to liberate ourselves <laughs> into the you know amen um, yeah
0: amen my uh good friend of mine uh who's a um uh a, a doctor in a, she's a theologian in canberra australia sarah agnew and she uh did a translation of romans and she called uh instead of christ the word was liberator hmm. also god had they them pronouns it's a it's a fantastic translation what's it called um, so it's just it's just her translation of romans oh right um so i don't know uh, I, I show notes. I'm sure I can get I, I can get you a link for that. But um, that'd be amazing. It's, it's um, it's a fascinating, especially because she she translated Paul. Like uh, you know, like I mean, just between you and me, I'm like the Gospels are where it's at. I mean, I Paul's fine, but like <laughs> um, but also manageable thing to. I mean, shout out to Sarah Agnew, manageable thing to translate. Um, but also, like, it is all towards liberation. I mean, Jesus's inaugural sermon in Luke, quoting Isaiah the spirit of the Lord has come upon me to proclaim liberation to the oppressed. Yeah. And also, oh, there's a little throwaway line, the year of the Lord's favor, which is a radical fucking thing. Read the 25th chapter of Leviticus. It's insane. Imagine an economy structured on that.
1: Yeah. I mean, if we tried to implement the year of Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor, which is the erasure of debt, like the absolute erasure of debt every 50 years, the economy as we know it, would collapse (laughs) in like (laughs) in like a very fight club i would like i that's right like that's i think believe it's been a minute but i believe that's the premise of fight club is that they're erasing debt um and the Mm. idea there is that they it is society destroying um so certainly you can understand why
0: all those credit card companies downtown that yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. So
1: in any case, I just like, I think that's why when, when we get so removed and we're like, why would they want to throw Jesus off a cliff for saying this stuff? You know, it's because (laughs) we're like, not, it's because our, our prophetic imagination is, is, has not grown to the point where we actually catch what, you know, what Jesus is, is casting a vision for.
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, Walter Brueggemann would, would uh, fully agree with you. Couldn't said it better himself. I mean, that's it. That's absolutely it. And our prophetic imagination is necessary in these precarious times right now. It's all about the imagination. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So where does the imagination take you when you are reading scripture? So like, actually, I just want to circle back real quick. I'll put a pin in that because I just want to note that when you're talking about the garden of Gethsemane, this is why it's so important to me to hear from folks who are interpreting scripture out of their own lived experience, which is all unique and, and beautiful and powerful, because I think that you reading Gethsemane and seeing this is Jesus so distraught to the point of death to the point yeah. of saying I don't want to do this anymore take me out God like I I'm out yeah. I'd, yeah. I'd prefer to die that is something that I don't think you can read and understand in that text if you haven't been there because I have a feeling that there are some people listening to this who would say oh no that's not what Jesus was saying at all Jesus was saying I want to live I I want you know I don't mm-hmm. I don't want to suffer therefore I want to live and and I think that it's really important that we hold space to say like no actually some folks have been there in a way that like they're understanding a dynamic of this story or at least one telling of this story that you cannot comprehend and you have to hear from someone who has been there Hmm. so
0: thank you for that also just makes you think of like the even in that moment, right, you're like, with your three friends, you're like, can you just not say anything, any kind of platitudes for me for like the next five minutes, and they can't, they fall asleep, right? Like, yeah, it's hard. It's hard. But like, like, for Jesus to be that real is disconcerting, to say the least, too. Right?
1: Can you say more about that?
0: Just the sense that when jesus like when he every once in a while jesus just tells it like it is he, he often has like a little truly truly i say unto you which a friend of mine phil ruggie jones translates as i tell you the truth this is the way it is yeah um and so sometimes when he does that uh it can be unsettling i tell you this is the way it is i didn't come to bring peace to, but to bring a sword he says yeah Sounds a lot like his cousin, John, a lot more like his cousin, John, than we give him credit for. Um, when he says things out, when he curses a fig tree, he's kind of hangry about it, but like, yeah. it's a little, it's a little shocking sometimes that like Jesus has an edge to him. Yeah. He's, and, and listen, I, I, I I'm i just thinking of all the different ways that we image, imagine Jesus. Um, first off, he's always too white, but as we even, as we finally get beyond that to maybe more accurate portrayals of him or maybe what he would have looked like like i mean we we, we forget that like that's that's just a, a snapshot um to be with him to be walking with him to, to to be in a room with him i think would be very intense yeah
1: certainly. <laughs> um
0: and 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 not comfortable
1: yeah
0: and so i think we lose some of that um I, oh, let me let me rephrase it. Um, like, and, and that's where I see it come up to the fore is in the Garden of Gethsemane, because um, he's not in control there.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and uh, I and for me, that's 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 what it means to say that uh, in one of our Eucharistic prayers. I've said in the Lutheran circles, like God came to us in Jesus, our brother. He lived among the poor. He wept for the city. He gave himself for us. Um, he was us. Mm. He was us. <laughs> like he, he knew what I'm going through. Yeah. That to me is, hmm. I just, Jesus, Jesus, I mean, man, 2000 years and that guy is still fucking me up, man. <laughs> I mean, like, Yeah, it's incredible.
1: Yeah. Well, so, uh, so to, to, to then follow that line to the prophetic imagination, how that changes our understanding of the text, I asked you to pick out a text to just kind of go hard in on. Um, And actually, for the first time, I don't know what you picked. Um, So I'm really excited to hear what you've picked. But I want to hear how your experience of this of this man who is divine, got it, church is on top of it, but also deeply human and and human in a way that comes alongside you, that knows your experience, even in the depths of your pain on the days that you can't even take a shower. Like, how does knowing that Jesus change the scripture for you? And can you just sort of walk us through a passage um, to help us see that Jesus through your story and your eyes? Mm.
0: Mm. yeah absolutely so um luke chapter 19 for those of you following along at home it's um the story of zacchaeus and uh so here is jericho passing through it there's a man in jericho named zacchaeus he's a Tax collector, that would be bad enough. He's a chief tax collector. Right? And he's rich. He is rich. Like, oh man, this guy. This is just like this is um it's hard for us to really grasp how hated Zacchaeus must have been, but like it's just woof, man okay so everything is against this guy and so then he's trying to see who jesus was but he can't on account of the crowd because he's short in stature it's a great little greek piece here because we don't know if it's referring to zacchaeus or to jesus is jesus too short to see mm. as he's walking down the middle of the path and then like the surrounded by the crowd i, I never knew
1: that i always I, thought zacchaeus was the wee little man right the wee little right. man was he
0: right? It's uh, exactly. But maybe and
1: Jesus was a wee little man.
0: I'm telling you. And like, and just, and just, just hear it again, right? Because it's like, um, he was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he couldn't, because he was short in stature. Huh? Who's the he? Either yeah. way works, right? I mean, run it through in your head. Either way works. Yeah. Um, so when I tell it, Jonah, I told the LSTC, um, I point to myself because I'm short and so it's like a it's like a laugh line but i don't think it's the key it's at all i think it's jesus jesus huh. is short jesus is like five, three tom cruise would be tall next to jesus y'all okay jesus is a short guy um just imagine that for a second because i would never seen jesus anything other than tall
1: totally <laughs> and sometimes weirdly jacked right
0: oh oh there's so many different this yeah weirdly yeah. jacked uh but uh, i think has these, didn't
1: didn't Josephus also the the uh first century historian uh-huh. also describe him as short and a bit hook, hook-nosed?
0: Oh, I don't know. I don't know if it, I feel like I, I feel like there's like five words he said about Jesus just to say that he was a person. Yeah. I mean, but they're like like it's very possible. um yeah. I need to spend more time with Josephus. Josephus, man, one of my mentors is like, Jason, stay out of the first century uh, Palestine. I'm like, but it's so interesting. Um, so, yeah, so, so we don't know who's who, um, Jesus could be the short guy. So then, but then Zacchaeus climbs up on a, on a, into a sycamore tree, as you know, from uh, the song that Jonah was about to sing. I could feel it. Um, so he climbs up into a sycamore tree, which is what you would do if Jesus was short or if you are short. And then of course, Jesus calls him out, um, and says, Hey, uh, so this person up here who clearly everybody in the, in the town hates him because he has become rich Off of the occupation of Rome. And he gets money from his own people and he takes a nice percentage of that. And he is easily the wealthiest person any of them has ever seen, the wealthiest of their own people, right? So Jesus changes everything and brings him down. And people cannot take that. They cannot take Jesus engaging with Zacchaeus in this way. And I just want us to take just hold off for one second and say, like, strip. Zacchaeus of everything that makes him this chief tax collector who's rich, which is a huge part of the story, and that Jesus encounters him because of what happens next. How how everything changes for Zacchaeus. And he totally changes like his, his entire life story by saying, Like, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, by the way, that's not an if question, it's a when. Like he's defrauded people. That's what he's done. I will pay them back four times as much. And this economic reversal, Jesus is so taken by this that he says, today, salvation has happened. Today, salvation has come to this house because of this. Now, I think there's a lot of, like, themes that run through this. But for me, like, I know, I, I, I feel Zacchaeus in a way. I feel him in this way of like being an outcast. And even as I say this, Jonah, I'm not sure if I necessarily picked the right story, but like I, 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 I I connect so hard with this, with what Jesus does with many of these kinds of outcasts that Jesus like calls to them and engages with them and not in a small way, but in a big way, I'm going to come, I'm going to have dinner and I'm going to have dinner at your house tonight. And that Zacchaeus is so moved by this, that he changes everything, everything about him. Like he, he completely does what in Greek we'd say is metanoia. He, he turns all the way around. It's complete transformation, individual transformation, which by the way, for somebody who's rich, individual transformation is complete economic justice, right? It's, it's complete. It's like Jesus asked the other young rich and ruler, like you lack one thing, give up everything you have and give it to the poor and follow me. And that's like literally what Zacchaeus does. And he wasn't asked to do it. So it's like that, that engagement from Jesus changes everything in Zacchaeus's life. And he didn't judge him for who he was. And so I, I, I kind of wanted to take a, a piece of scripture this is just one that i know by heart and i love it so much but um as somebody who struggles with mental health issues um i'm just really taken by this encounter with jesus that it doesn't matter what has happened up to that point like zacchaeus is completely accepted by jesus completely it's not like he does that and jesus says, oh, "Okay." Now I'll come to your house for dinner, although he does say that economic justice is salvation. Today salvation has come to this house, which is incredible. Today salvation has come. He says it in his early his inaugural sermon as well. Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So it's today. It's not some um, pie in the sky by and by. It's today, and and so like like for me like that. So when you take antidepressants especially when you first start them. Um, the, the, the chemistry is weird and we don't know everything about our brains and how things work. And so you could wait weeks and not know, or not have any kind of not have anything change in your life. (laughs) You can wait weeks and, and then maybe you're on the wrong medication. So you have to go to another one. It takes a long time. It takes a long time to get balanced. And so for some reason, I, I, I just, I, I'm kind of overwhelmed by a Jesus who who changes things, like, in that moment. Think, things change. And yet, in our life, in, in, in my experience of mental health, things don't change. It's, it takes a long time. It takes a really long time to feel good sometimes. And it's really easy to fall off the wheel. And sometimes I don't take my meds because I don't necessarily like everything about myself when I'm on them. There's, it's give and take. And so sometimes I don't take them. And so I can easily fall off the wagon again and get really depressed again. And to your point earlier, um, none of that is a reflection on me as a person. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: none of that is a reflection on me. Uh, my brain is telling me I really should have picked Bartimaeus in Mark chapter (laughs) 10.
1: (laughs) But like, Luckily we are not ever only held to one story to define oh, our faith.
0: Oh this yeah.
1: is you know, it's yeah. this it's this moment, right? Like what what yeah. about this story in this moment? And I think yeah there's there's something really cool. Yeah. Cameron and I were talking the other day and he was talking about how um how ironic it was that all the evangelical songs are about how God's love is relentless and there's nothing that can keep you from the love of God. And, but also if you don't choose God back, uh, you'll suffer in hell for eternity. And that last part is just sort of unsaid. Um, But I think that there's, you know, so I think it gets really distorted in our culture, but there's this really beautiful thing happening in this story with Zacchaeus and Jesus that you're naming, which is like, there is a longing in Zacchaeus and, and that's holy. And it's not on him, right? Like God does come to us. God's love is um, going to break through all of those barriers and be accessible to us um, if we want it. But that that wanting is holy too. That like the fact that Zacchaeus climbs a tree, you know, whose stature, we don't know, but climbs a tree is like evidence of his longing and there there doesn't necessarily have to be a lineup between his longing for salvation his longing for connection his longing for love and whether he's getting it right on the daily Mm. um but that that longing is enough and jesus is like hell yeah let's let's hang out let's have dinner let's be together and that that like specifically to him
0: where there's like tons of people who have probably already asked to be on his rsvp list that night yeah, The big people, the big wigs in Jericho, but he goes to Zacchaeus's house.
1: And so what do you think that said? Like, what does that say to you?
0: Like, Jesus is very specifically, like, he does not give a shit about your posturing, about your mm. power, about, yeah. like, anything that you're, like, the whatever it is that we're performing right now. Yeah just spent a lot of time with the ash wednesday text so forgive me but like all this shit that we're trying to we're trying to get responses reactions to he doesn't give a shit about any of that he's looking for the people who need him yeah (laughs) um and who want to who are interested in, in metanoia yeah um
1: so you think that jesus sees something in zacchaeus that's like not that's related to that longing, but not to the performance of doing it right.
0: Yeah, because, yeah, because how in the hell does Zacchaeus make that turn to say, if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll pay them back four times as much? Um, like, unless he's been thinking about that, yeah. he's had like long dark nights of the soul for a yeah. while. He hates what he does.
1: Well, and like to give context, I think it's really difficult to understand tax collectors. And I I can't it for is. the life of me remember who made this connection for me. But somebody once uh, was like, this is like payday lenders. um, So they are located right. within a community. Right. And... And you know, so payday lenders, if you don't know, are people who like locate within poor communities, make themselves available to like front people some cash,
0: with but insane interest rates,
1: hundreds of percents of interest. You know, just you have to, like that it four times. You know, interest, that kind of a thing, and and people often
0: um, doing a week. You know, it's it's just it's it's yeah,
1: it's it's legal it's loan sharking, mm. um, and so so the similarities there are. Are that with a tax collector, it was somebody within the community, right? This was not right. the occupiers. This was a collaborator right? who was leeching from his community, preying on his community and becoming rich off the backs of, of his poor neighbors. Um, and so, so, I mean, it's really messed up it is. what, what Zacchaeus was doing. It is. And, you know, we talk in this country, not enough, but uh, all the time and increasingly about reparations. And that is what he's coming to the table with to say, like, actually, I am going to make right. I, I'm going to I'm going to give everything back times four um, to to repair this harm um, that I've that I've caused. And so, yeah, so I am curious, you know, is that is that evident to Jesus in the street? Is that is that preparedness, that readiness to to turn to to transform? Cause I don't know what else, you know, what else would make Zacchaeus stand out.
0: Yeah. And I think just uh, go with my brain on this. Also, I need to say um, storyteller, stupid me. I forgot. Uh, the first thing he says is half of my money, Lord, I will give to the poor. Mm. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I'll pay them back four times as much. This dude has no money after this.
1: Yeah.
0: He already halved his, his income. And Jesus is so taken by this that he says, even more than he says to the thief on the cross, today salvation has come to this house. That is, and I guess maybe why I went there, and thank you for for honoring that there are multiple stories. I didn't pick the wrong one, but that if Jesus can if Jesus can can affect this kind of change in somebody like Zacchaeus. Yeah. Like my my mental struggles must be yeah you know, like well let me say it this way if he, if Jesus can do that then Jesus is absolutely walking with me and my shit yeah
1: right you're um, not too big a project for yeah Jesus.
0: yeah right yeah I'm not hopelessly um I'm not hopelessly lost that's what your brain will tell you right when you're depressed it tells you you're depressed for good reason. Because you're an awful shit human being. That's why you feel like shit. It's because you are shit.
1: Yeah.
0: So those kind of lies, yeah, that Jesus can handle them. I think that's where I, that's where I go with with something so radical as what happens with Zacchaeus. Like that kind of transformation that I, I believe that changed all of Jericho that day.
1: Yeah. Well, and if you'll, if you'll indulge me a, a real quick callback, I think part of how we cope with some of this may look different in different communities and that's okay um so luther i think probably really related luther martin luther you know leader in the reformation one of the most influential theologians in history shaped the church in this country quite a bit um Mm. and he felt that way he felt like shit yeah. Now he dealt with that by saying actually that's okay and I don't need to fix that. For me, when I felt like shit, I was like I need someone to tell me I am wrong. Right. I need someone to tell me I'm wrong because I am not trying to live this life if I if I am as garbage as I feel, why mm-hmm. am I even here? Right. And for me, that's actually where, you know, we were we were talking a little bit um before recording about my journey into the United Methodist church. That's actually where I found freedom in a different theological tradition with John Wesley, Mm -hmm. because, um, John Wesley, another, you know, important theologian, but he, he had a really different take. And his take was like, actually, no, you, you all human beings, including you, Jonah P. Overton (laughs) are, are blessed by God. You, Jason Chestnut, have been given the grace of God in your being by being, mm-hmm. and that makes you holy and good, and it makes you capable of perfection, which can, like, be really big pressure, which is why it doesn't work for everybody, but, like, but, like you, Jason, ha- are filled with the grace of God, which is not the grace to overlook you and see Christ instead, but the grace to see you as you actually are, which you may not be able to see but but God yeah, actually can yeah, see yeah. more fully who you are especially when I can't don't. see it. Yeah. And so there you know there there are these things that are all true, right? Like it is true that we all screw up and that that's okay. And it is true that we are holy and perfect in the eyes of God and that is important too. And so, you know, the freedom also to say like there are different experiences of how to cope with humanity and with mm. suffering that, that actually are all holy, um, when they are used to heal, I think is really important. Amen. Um, especially when it comes to mental health, because like, there's nothing, there's nothing mm. more personal, mm. I think, um, than mental health. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Wow.
1: Well, Jason, thank you so much for being on today and sharing this conversation um, Thank you for having me. There are two questions actually that I ask that I did not give you a heads up on. We did mm. this was uh, mm. Mm. this is a surprise for you, so I apologize about that. But I think you're gonna do great. I love um, it. <laughs> first question is: given the way that uh, modern Christianity interacts with Scripture, is there anything that you feel like gets too much attention, that we just talk about too much, gets too much airtime, that we could you know, set aside for a little minute and give it a breather.
0: That's a great question. Um, We spend a lot more time than I think even Paul would have liked with his letters.
1: Yeah.
0: He doesn't understand. He doesn't, he contradicts himself. He sometimes tells us that he's contradicting himself. He, Mm -hmm. he speaks different things at different communities for different reasons to make different points And I don't know that he would have imagined any of his writings to be what we, what we just press really hard on today. Yeah. Um, With that being said, I will take him over like the God awful uh, pastoral epistles or the ones, you know, who write in Paul's name and then say shit about women being silent in church and submissive and things that he did not say. Yeah. Um, But also I'm not trying to defend Paul either. And I just don't think that Paul would be here to defend like Paul wouldn't defend much of what he wrote either. He's like, I was trying to, to, to solve you know in some ways put out fires i was mm-hmm. trying to you know i was trying to pastor to people uh in yeah. very specific contexts two thousand years ago y'all yeah so yeah that's what i would say
1: yeah so give paul a little a little breathing room
0: yeah Maybe all of paul. Some
1: jesus i don't know all,
0: all of paul I, I know that romans changed your life okay i'm fine but like just take a break
1: yeah
0: um the gospels the gospels i'm just amazed by uh, often especially just as a storyteller, that's what the yeah. stories are or the gospels,
1: yeah, for sure. yeah well, and so then uh the the second part of that question is what in the Bible? what in the scriptures do you think hidden gems, overlooked items like what do you think could be bumped up the the playlist?
0: Mm, oh, great question. There's a story of a prophet who doesn't get his own prophetic book, so I think I just always imagine him. Imagine him as being a little bit self-conscious. Um, his name is Micaiah. Micaiah, uh, and he's called by one of the kings of Israel. So this is in the historical books. I think it's in First Kings. And the king has brought together all these other sycophants to tell him, "Yeah, go to war with one of Israel's neighbors." This is a theme, y'all. Israel had neighbors, and they were all in the war with each other. Um. And so then he's like, Micaiah, if you did this too, this would be a real big boost. And Micaiah says, "Listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say what God says. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do anything else. I'm a prophet. I speak what God speaks." So then the king's like, "Fine." And of course, God tells him not to go to war. And so then Micaiah is killed, right? Um, the the I don't know if actually if he's killed. I'm sorry, I spoke a little bit out of turn. But the point is, the king is not happy with the prophet. And I love this story. Because if you're, if, if, if people in power like you, you are very likely not a prophet. Yep. And I just think a lot about prophets. I think prophets, I think there are prophets who walk among us today. I think there's a lot we can learn from prophets. Um, And I just think in general, we should be spending more time with Amos, with Micah, um, with Isaiah, truly. Uh, These, these prophets, they, they, they weren't just speaking back then, man. They are speaking to us today. Yeah. Um, but anyways, and then just smaller, like little offload B-side ones. There's this great story of uh, of Moses and Zipporah as they head back with their young child back to Egypt so that Moses could say with his Charlton Heston voice, let my people go. And uh, God meets him on the road and threatens to kill, I think, everybody. Again, this is like God, and this is not just in the Hebrew scriptures, right? The Greek scriptures too. Uh, when when they paint pictures of God and Jesus, they're not. Sometimes they're flat out scary. <laughs> they're this. They're wild.
1: Terrifying. Yeah.
0: Absolutely terrifying. And so then, Zipporah, in one of the badass moments of the of of any part of the Bible, she pulls out a a knife and she cuts off the foreskin of her of her little baby boy and holds the bloody flesh up to god it says i am the br- i am the bridegroom of blood i don't have i don't i don't know what the there, i don't think there's an aesop's fable to this which is why i like it there's no clear yeah. there's no clear uh clear resolution but that is one fucked up story
1: yeah and it um,
0: works <laughs> yeah also uh, sorry as i continue thinking about the daughters of salofa had um, in numbers you have women who are named and who have yeah. an amazing amount of agency then one who's not named but I think about a lot is Jephthah's daughter and that stunning tragic story and then Jael is a badass and I love her story with Sisera I think those are things that like I hate that they're not in the lectionary and I would love to talk about them more
1: yeah well hopefully someday Well. <laughs>
0: We'll you're, asking me who my,
1: stories.
0: you're asking me who my favorite kid is, I guess, or something like, what's my favorite, what's, what's the story of the Bible we should all pay attention to? Well, let me tell you my 500 top, my top 500.
1: <laughs> so this one time there was a tent spike and a head. Yeah. There's some good stuff in there. All and right. She awesome. lured him
0: in there, man. She lured yeah, him in. She had man.
1: a plan. She had a plan. Mm. Yeah. If you're, if you're interested in that, um, if we're referencing something that means absolutely nothing to you, which is highly likely. Um, yeah. Just, just look into Bible murder tent spike.
0: Yeah. And, uh, those are, those are for the true crime aficionados out there. Also just to your question, because I'm always thinking, your questions are so good, Jonah, the the letter of James.
1: Oh, this was when I knew I wasn't Lutheran. When Seriously, I found out it's that awful. Martin Luther it's the worst called part it. Of Luther. The Epistle of Straw because it's he hated awful, it so much. Awful. James might be like outside of the Gospels. James is my favorite book of Scripture. Um, yeah, I'd
0: say uh, I, I I'm very much uh, I'm I'm close to agreement with you. It's definitely my favorite part of the of the Christian Scriptures outside the Gospels. Fully. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. so good. Well, yeah. I mean, if there's any takeaway, it's that there there are the Scriptures hold a lot of gems. They really do. They
0: do. I love the Bible. Yeah,
1: me too. All right. Well, let's just, let's just keep, you know, fangirling about the Bible and, uh, and go about our lives. But thank you so much, Jason. It's been amazing to talk to you.
0: Thank you. You're, you're, you're amazing. Thanks for having me on and love the, love the show. Love what you're doing.
1: Awesome. All right. Well, um, you know, folks can find you in a number of different ways. Um, but is there anything else that you'd like to direct them towards right now?
0: Uh well we started a new community here in North Carolina called Anamkara which is Gaelic for soul friend. And you can find us on the socials, Anamkara Community. Um also Anam Kara community dot community.org.
1: And we'll link and, that in the show notes.
0: Um yeah. And um otherwise uh I get up to a lot of trouble on Twitter. You can find me at Crazy Pastor.
1: At Crazy Pastor. All right. Well, thank you, sir.
0: Thank you. It's great to be with you, Jonah. God bless you. You're amazing. You're a rock star. Thanks for listening to this episode of Jonah and the Peacock. We hope you enjoyed it. This show is presented by The Liberation Project and produced by Wesley's Revival.